Hey there, welcome to Blockhead, the Peanuts tribute podcast from a cartoonist's point of view. My name is Jeff Grogan, and I will be your host for the next few minutes to talk about Peanuts, Charles Schultz, and all things Charlie Brown, Linus, Lucy, and Snoopy too. So sit back and enjoy. So I'm back. I told you I'd be back pretty quick with part two, and here it is. Uh, Part two, myself and Ryan Flanders, design director from Mad Magazine for the last 17 years. He's worked there for 19 years, currently doing uh, freelance work for Mad, one way or the other. Uh, In this particular episode, we go a little further into some of the issues that we touched upon there. I think you could tell from this this last episode, you know, that I have a lot of concerns about uh, how creators will continue to survive and make a living. I think it's of concern all of us who are in popular culture uh, one way or the other and uh, so we go into that discussion a little bit more and I know it periodically I sound like a dinosaur and I am hey what are you going to do about it um, uh, I, you get there eventually <laughs> one way or another we all become dinosaurs at some point or another and uh, so uh, but at the same time you know Ryan brings up points that are really interesting This and uh, the discussion is, is uh, broad ranging and uh, it talks about what mad meant to us uh, growing up, how it's functioned in our society, and uh, there's a lot of things that we talk about. So uh, let's get right to it, okay? Ryan Flanders and myself uh, in discussion, talking more about Mad Magazine and uh, all of those surrounding concerns. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how it goes on. I I mean, I agree. I am a huge supporter of the internet and what it allows for people. I mean, having been in a, a role of an editorial gatekeeper, I can... I can only imagine the frustration people must feel being on the other side um, and just saying, forget it. I'm going to do it for myself for whatever reason they might go into that. I have, I have uh, a long history of supporting all different types of, or being involved in supporting different independent DIY kind of uh, artistic cultures. And I find great value in kind of (laughs) ironically undermining the, the corporate structure and doing it for yourself and <laughs> says the man who worked for the corporate structure. Yeah. Because yeah. I like having health insurance and I am not a DIYer. I'm fairly lazy in that regard. I don't have those type of extreme passions, uh, as far as like creating art and getting it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I like being a creative individual. I was a designer and art director for mad and, uh, doing ideas. I mean, I like that, but I also like stability yeah. and, um, I mean, I love that Instagram will allow someone to become a superstar. And I love that also other aspects of the internet and the world at large have allowed people to figure out business models that seem to be, and I hope are successful for them. If you, yeah. there are musicians who give away their albums for free and then go on to uh, make their money from merchandise, touring, and then when they have enough to show they will sell a song to a corporation to run in their movie trailer and their video game or whatever it might be. So, and I, I mean, I feel like that's starting to happen or has been, but is happening some for illustrators and cartoonists. Uh, yes. So you're able to have it both ways on the, on one thing that I'm seeing as a fan of a lot of cartoonists is them being hired away by Often, I'll just say, for example, an animation studio, uh-huh. then their personal work does dry up because it's that it's, the, you know, it's just this it's a catch 22 structure that we built for ourselves. We're all just all we can. We, we need we, we all need money and we need as much as we need for whatever our lifestyle is. And yeah. you know, for the majority of people, that means figuring out that that stability. Um, yeah. And, and so uh, I guess, you know, there's going to be success stories and failures i mean i always i feel like at least at this point we're seeing so much more from so many people than we would have otherwise this is so true at the same time there is it's fascinating even as mads 
I mean, obviously, I'm going to focus on Matt here. I keep turning, bringing it back there. Even as our sales declined, it was still a big deal for people. Sure, it was. I think yeah. it was a combination of acknowledgement and yeah. visibility. Visibility, so, validity, and there's still a thrill, you know, about being on the newsstand. You know, I mean, it's great, I think, because we've all, you know, put our stuff up on, on the web and there it is and, and it's out there. Um, and you might get, you know, 300 likes if you're lucky, right? Uh, but um, to see it on the newsstand and to actually see this physical, tangible thing, you know, to go into a newsstand and, and see, you know, your work in a publication, that's still kind of a thrill for most cartoonists. Yeah, and we, we took that very seriously on the staff the responsibility of what that meant for people and like you know as i said a lot of editorial oversight but we tried our best to be collaborative if we you know i was the second editor of the the strip club i inherited it from john bresman who i mentioned before and we'd ask for changes we'd have tweaks um and i always try to make a point of saying you know your name is going to be on this thing don't just please don't just say yes because I'm your editor, you know, or because this is what, you know, let's see, let's try to find uh, the middle ground that makes us both happy. Mm -hmm. um, and also financially, I mean, for a little bit of uh, horn tooting, although it's not really my horn, I was part of the, the bigger group. I mean, we were very focused on making sure that we could do everything we could to give people as much as we could within our own budget. Our budgets changed over the years. Sure. But, I mean, a lot of this, this is the Hornell toot, is John Ficarra's, and he would make some sort of um, gross joke about me using that phrase. But it's like he, John is a great creative mind and a, and a pragmatist, and he understands that everyone has real lives and things need to be taken care of in their real lives. I mean, for all of us on staff and the freelancers, if there was anything in their personal life that was throwing them off, that's what... They're, you know, just affecting their work. That's what matter first. And as far as, you know, like I said before, we built this world for ourselves where we just need the money. So yeah. a lot of what we did in MAD, we did in-house partially because we knew that if we saved money on a page, we could give it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we would run two to four pages each issue of a classic MAD article. Uh -huh. uh, I've heard people disparage that and say that we were caught up in the past and looking backwards. The reason we ran that was twofold, partially because when super specials ended, there, was, there weren't as many places for people to get classic MAD material and understand its history, mm -hmm. um, which I think was a, a very important part of MAD collections, whether they're in super specials the, the, or the books or what have you, but that was part of it. But the real reason was because that meant three, because we, we would break down our budget by page. Certain amount for writing, sure. certain amount for art. Yeah, same, the same amount. Writers and artists got paid the same amount, no question. And so those three to four pages freed up paid freed up that the, that money. And if somebody gave us a painting, let's say that clearly they really, I mean, everything everybody did in Mad took a lot of work. They put their all into it. But let's say painting takes more time. It's clear it does, right? I mean, it's just right. so much more involved, right? We'd we'd up the we'd up them their their pay on that. I mean, I'm I don't know how much of this should even be public. And John might if you ever hear John will never hear it. But if he, you know, but he, that was him making sure the people were felt valued and we recognized their time and their and their work. And I mean, we we slowly were able to institute a little bit of a a raise for people that were doing um, caricature work. Mm -hmm. And especially, especially if they're doing more caricature work than than might be on a regular page, because, you know, when you're using reference, you got you got to draw somebody 20 times in a movie parody or just in 20 pa times on two pages. I mean, that's different than just drawing a person out of your mind or, you yes. know, the reference, the going to get the reference. Um, the other thing that happened was we would do everything we could. And again, this is John to take care of the families of people who had worked for MAD, uh, Dave Berg's family, the Prohias family. Um, you know, we would do everything we could uh, to maintain those relationships somehow. And if we could help them out, uh, you know, we utilize, if, if they're, if the people in their family, their loved ones work was, in, if we were able to 
take anything that, you know, but part of the budget that we would use, let's say something for Dave Berg, for example, and, and to, you know, pass that on. That was, that was something that would happen. Were there uh, royalty fees built into their contracts, do you know? Or, I mean, they didn't, you know, Dave Berg didn't own his stuff, but when Dave Berg's stuff was printed in those paperback collections all through the years, do you know if he got royalties for those, the, the paper, use of that stuff? Paperbacks were a special thing to my understanding. I mean, I, they, we were not producing paperbacks by the time I joined, but right, right. talking to Jaffe and just kind of talking in-house with people, those were special contracts actually outside oh, of okay. the regular magazine. And yeah. partially that was, I think, Warner Books, which I assume, you know, with all the mergers, I don't know at what point Warner yeah. actually took control of MED. It was 70s to 80s where the, that fully happened. But I can you know, tell was, you a little bit about that. Sorry? <laughs> I can tell you a little bit about that. I did a, a, a little bit of research this morning. Uh, this is just a side issue. Warner's was taken over along with National Periodical Publications and uh, Mad Magazine uh, in the early 1960s by uh, a company called, I think it was 62 when um, you know, Bill Gaines sold the company. I he do sold, know what it's called, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, he sold yeah, it you to tell a the story. Called, I do know oh, a lot of this. I just don't know the specific years, but yeah. Uh, actually, uh, you fill in where I'm wrong, okay? Because all I know is the basic outlines of the story. But Gaines sold it a lot, and, and this was at the same time that National Periodical was sold and Warner Brothers was sold. And it was sold to, of all things, a parking lot company from New Jersey called Kinney Parking Lot. Yeah, that's a, that was a story told in the Matt office. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. And it was run by the mob. Kinney oh, Parking Lot. Yeah, that I didn't know at least part of it was run by the mob, you know, and of course I'm, I'm just quoting from a Wikipedia entry, but I, I, that I knew mad was sold a long time ago. I knew Gaines had sold it, but Oh my God, a parking lot company and the parking lot company from New Jersey ended open, uh, ended up owning Warner brothers media and and DC comics and ultimately split up into two different corporations, you know, Warner time Warner media became one corporation and then Kinney became something else, not the shoes, but way back in the day, but something else. And I, I think it's real estate. So two corporations, but it started off as a free, as a parking lot, a parking lot. But anyway, so that that's a totally side issue. But if you got any details on that, you want to fill it. I've, heard, I've read an interview with Gaines recently that I've read a couple times. Um, Fanographics <laughs> published it, I think, in the Comics Journal, and then they re-collected re, uh, them in one of uh -huh. the EC the interviews with the oh, EC I love those creators. Interviews. Yeah, I, I love think them. it was in there where they taught where he says that the reason he sold was the tax laws of the time were out of control. So it was a family-owned business. Uh -huh. They had to pay just a massive percentage of sure, taxes. Sure. So this was a this was a financial decision just to um kind of be able to <laughs> afford to live as the as well, the publisher of you know this hugely successful magazine continue to we, keep it in you know support himself and keep it in operation yeah because um, he he remained in charge of it until god knows when you know until uh, he died until he died so and when did he die 92 i believe 92 okay so yeah so he was in charge of it throughout the rest of his life so i guess he drew a salary then I suppose. Yeah, that I, I, I don't know, but I'm sure he did. He, I mean, he was the publisher, and I, as far as I know, an employee of Warner. He would go to the stories I've heard is he would go to Warner uh, executive meetings as needed, as requested. Um, mm -hmm. He had a contract, and the story I've heard is that in the contract it said that he had con complete control of MAD as its publisher, and that, it, that contract at some point included the phrase that he had the right to be unreasonable. <laughs> <laughs> that really sounds like Bill Gaines, all right. You know, that's amazing. I, wish, I, wish I, could, I love it. I wish I could have met him, obviously. Um, yeah, sure. His, I mean, his, uh, his, uh, his persona still permeated the office because three of the senior staffers worked for him directly and oh. interacted with him on a daily basis. Plenty of the freelancers did, of course. And sure. uh, the other, my art director, Sam, um, was a freelancer for a long time working for Gaines. So he still knew Bill and went on the mad trips and everything with them. So as far as the Warner books, I know that, that those are different contracts. Um, they were very much creator-driven, of course. You know, Al Jaffe presents, right. Sergio right. presents. So that was another, whenever the, you know, the, the creator becomes the star, the, the contract changes and um, 
the the whole thing it was it was very outside of mad's typical so that's why i i believe that's partially why you don't see those repackaged the rights are kind of all mixed up they're duly owned i think most people want them to be out there i think it's just difficult to unravel yeah when i say people i mean the the creators i believe sure i mean i've gotten that impression or their family. Um, and that was something that yeah. even so, you know, speaking about somebody like Berg, we did a book uh, that was a licensed publishing book, but most of those books we would still have a lot of hands-on um, kind of editorial and even design mm -hmm. direction involved, even if we weren't doing well. I shouldn't say hands-on; we were doing the work, but we were directing the work. Yeah. So, you know, we did a book that was all Berg. And none of Berg's contracts would have led to a royalty situation there. But, I mean, DC and Warner Brothers uh, want to do the right thing. And as I said before, John and the entire John instilled in the entire Mad Staff, and it was his uh, directive, personal directive, to make sure people are taken care of. So that was the type of thing where, you know, we recognized what it was to do a book of one person's work and 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 do what was right by his family. And when we did a Sergio book. Sergio was right there and involved and did new art for the cover and and, mm -hmm. and, art and and all sorts of things along those lines. I mean, even even when we do books of Spy versus Spy, that's all Peter Cooper right. material. He's directly involved. Mm -hmm. So there are, you know, I think there are some contracts here and there that extend beyond the normal mad material. But as far as I have ever heard, there, there are no royalties built into the normal mad contract. And it's some of it comes down to um, people will probably roll their eyes at this, but there's so much work in each issue. Yeah. At the royalties would be pennies. <laughs> and it's just why, you know, it's just like, yeah. no, it, it, the amount of work it would take to split that up. Yeah. And then, and then uh, beyond each issue, I mean, not even talking about if you got percentage sales off each issue, then the collections, the specials, whether they were just kind of, uh, you know, super specials, a bunch of random material, or the theme specials we did, whether it's a Star Wars thing. You know, there's just so much material in there by so many different people. And the profit margins made no, none of us became, nobody became a millionaire because of the profit margins on like a, you know, star, mad spoof Star Wars uh, right. one-off. So, yeah, I think that was kind of part of it. Um, you know, as you said, Matt always did try to pay well. Um, as best we could within the budget. There was a period where I think it was paying extremely well and especially to longtime contributors. Uh, I think partially people just loved Bill Gaines, loved mm -hmm. working for Mad, and what, the, the, the freelancers loved those things. They, a lot of them, they benefited from it, uh, you know, uh, as far as their bigger career mm -hmm. and opportunities. I think that still continues. You still, still see plenty of people have Mad Magazine first on their sure. list of uh, and that warms my heart. And and um, and I think also there is the stability I mentioned, but uh, they trusted us. And um, so, you know, even though as, uh, not everybody loved the contract or the situation, uh, I think it was just kind of a bigger picture. You know, so. Yeah, it depends on where you are in your career too. I think you know, I mean, whether you're just starting out, uh, you know, or you're you've been established for a long time, and obviously, I you know, and I don't, I can't speak to you know what the last twenty years or so, but when you were working with people like Jack Davis or or you know Mort Rucker or somebody that you've been working with a long, long time, obviously those people are going to have you know probably different contracts than other people, and only rightly so, you know, because they they've been there that long. And then somebody like Davis, whose work was just everywhere and was in demand everywhere. He could have walked up and left at any time. He didn't have to do anything for Matt. He was yeah. Jack Davis, you know? So, you know, if you're going to buy Jack Davis, you know what you're going to have to pay, you know? And, and I think the same is true for a lot of those guys in the sixties and seventies who became more than just mad artists. I mean, Dave Berg was always just Dave Berg and Don Martin was always, and they were staples and, but guys like Jack Davis and uh, Paul Coker jr. Or somebody, they would go off and uh, Coker was uh, an animation guy. He did a lot of animation work. He did a lot of stuff that was seen in a lot of advertisement outside of mad. And, and, uh, same thing is true. Davis and, and others as well, you know, 
know? So, you know, I think it all depends on where you're at in your career, whether you're willing to, you know, take this contract or that contract and that, and that's the way it should be, I think. Um, you know, I think it's great, you know, that Mad did what it did uh, and, and you know, really tried to enable cartoonists not only to do their best, but uh, and and to help them with that editorially and otherwise, but also financially. And I, I think that that's that's one of the great things about, you know, uh, a venue like Mad for cartoonists. And uh, and I think, you know, you know, and maybe I speak from and, you know, I know I speak from from another generation, you know, looking back on it and saying, wow, man, you know, because for people my age, um, I think it's a little more difficult to navigate the internet. You know, I, I put up stuff, I get the same 15 likes over and over again. It doesn't matter what I do. It's just the same old people who liked me, you know, who were friends, you know, friends and family. And, and no matter what, you know, getting the work beyond that level for me is like, it just never happens. And I think for people who know how to navigate the world, and this is the point you were making earlier, and I think other people have said this too, is that, you know, it's a, it's a period in which just like in the past, when there were strong gatekeepers, there were going to be cartoonists who knew how to navigate that, knew how to work within that system and succeeded. And other cartoonists who may be really great, who never did couldn't navigate that system and you know that's the world we live in now so you know sort of circling back to what i was talking about before um you know there there is this world where there are people who really do know how to 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 work within the system and they will succeed and get their work out there to people and they know what the culture wants out of cartoons right now you know and come and then there will be people who don't and and unfortunately but that's just the way the world is you know and um but i I really do hope that venues like mad continue to exist you know one way or another for cartoonists i know online right now one of my favorite publications is the nib and i don't know if you follow i love that publication yeah i I follow sure yeah and i think they were being supported by um i'm not sure who was supporting them but they had support from someplace it was matt boar's uh baby you know his his project and uh it's it's politically oriented right it's it's about the events of the day and it's cartoonists who who all uh comment on the events of the day but they're all very funny they're all very insightful you know very smart stuff um anyway that support dried up from whatever uh foundation or venue it came from you know he he posted something i don't know if you saw it but that that you know support dried up and so now it's all going to be just you know he's going to try to keep it running as best he can on his own um but it's going to have to be supported by you know subscribers and and readers and and uh and you know that's a new new world for him and a new world for it and i really hope it succeeds because it's a terrific publication and it's one of those you know like mad that and in this case i think really uh it's as though they've found a method by which mad could could adapt you know to the current environment the nib puts up like one cartoon of like five panels at a time and all of them are by different cartoonists and they're really good you know they're really interesting and they're pointed and they're funny and they get to the point pretty quickly uh and it's all you know people who are i you know relatively established but then there's a bunch of young voices there too so it's it's pretty cool um you know that's one of the things i i see well i hope venue, venues like that continue to crop up you know um that kind of inventive online magazine uh could fill the void you know if there's enough of them <laughs> uh for for you know for the number of cartoonists who are out there yeah i'm a i'm a nib subscriber i, I subscribe to their quarterly uh, I love that they have a print edition. Yeah, me too. That's something that some um, I've always find uh, uh, just uh, charmingly ironic that so many uh, web or digital, let's call them digitally driven um, uh, outlets, mm-hmm. they still want print, and 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 for oh many different reasons. Um, sure. You know, you know the, the for, as for any comic or any comic strip creator cartoonist. I, I don't find it ironic at all that they want print. I love that, but it's, it's just not something. Real it's in print, yeah. We've had so many encounters. Uh, like uh, we had this great meeting one day with the group, the uh, staff of Funnier Die, and they felt they just wanted something. They wanted their work collected, just to have something in their hands that they could hand to people. They could hold it all in one place. They could see it all in one place. Um, uh, I know that they're 
I, I just there there are other outlets that I mean the Onion certainly does it. There's yeah, others yeah. that I'm aware are coming out with. Yeah. I mean even something like the, there's a very popular uh, uh, um, sort of website account let's call it called Baseball Card Vandals. Which <laughs> do you know it? No, I don't know, but it's great. Um, I'll look it up. I love it. I was a baseball card collector. I'm a big yeah, fan. I was too. Yeah. It's exactly what it sounds like. They draw on um, classic baseball cards from all different eras, mm-hmm. and they use Sharpie. It's all very rough. It's very. <laughs> it's done in a very well, Snapchat, right? Purposely amateurish, silly way. A lot of it's very crude. Which will be warned to anybody who checks it out. So but they, they just collected a bunch of them in a book too. Um, oh, very cool. And I know they sell the originals very cheaply, uh, you know, like the card with their drawings on them. They do it right on the card. And uh, so they have they figured out ways to make money, too. But in the, there's still a book. But, you know, as far as uh, the nib and, and anything like that, I mean, I, I hope they're able to make a go of it. Me It'll too. Be interesting to see if they do, if they have the supporters. I mean, that's another fantastic thing that uh, that people are able to give their money directly. Patreon. Yeah, yeah, Patreon is, is a great example of that. Kickstarter, I mean, I know that everybody's going to take a percent. I'm sure Patreon takes a percentage. You, you know, you need to be able to function. You need to be able to run the thing. But, you know, it's just nice that you can go almost as directly as possible to the, the contributors. And I hope that enough people do because there is a lot of speaking with your wallet more than yeah. now thinking about where your money goes. Uh, there's a big campaign right now to save Mad, and there's a big push to buy the next issue and make a point. Um, I still think, you know, something like the Nib. I think they're doing what they do very well, and I mean, both from from the outside looking in, um, just as far as the content and what seems to be the product, which is the online, and then the and I, I th- I'm sh- I would imagine just from what I know about the people involved that that's. I think enough for them as, and they would love to reach as many people as possible. When I say it's enough, you know, they're not, they don't need to scale. Uh, like everybody wants to scale. How can we go bigger? How can we just right. expand, expand, expand? And I guess that's another need in the present day. But at some point, like it's kind of nice to just have enough, you know, I wish mad was just enough for yeah. people. Um, I think partially the, the reaction I'm seeing out in the world about Mad is a mourning for that kind of idea that one thing is enough, that to just produce this this nice thing that we can all share in. Um, that's beautifully that, said, man. That yeah. we can all, you know, it's, I, I don't want to be old man shouting a cloud to use uh, oh, but, you know, know, an internet meme that everybody loves and laughs at and is maybe be the undoing of Mad, but, and of course, as a Simpsons reference, uh, to make full circle, but, uh, you know, whether it's TV or, you know, sometimes I, whatever, I mean, movies and books still seem to bring us together in that way. Oh, did you see this movie? Oh, oh did you read this book? But, um, so many other aspects of a culture are so, uh, fractured to, to reuse a word. And, um, I do think there's a, that's part of what this morning is right now that, you know, mad was always kind of, everybody hoped it would be there because it represented something, um, you know, just not just, culturally or mm-hmm. not just in a way to like open young minds or but it represents something that we could all share and well i think that that's one of the things that you're hitting on that is different about you know and i you know again i'm gonna i sound like myself <laughs> which is and i don't apologize for being you know my age but um but you know the world is changing and and there's no denying that and there's no denying what happens and what's going forward and it and, and it will be itself you know some things will be as good as the past and some will be better and and all of that but i do think what you're pointing out is is really a truism and, and that is that there was a simpler you know god it sounds ridiculous but it, there was a simpler time right media was simpler and we didn't think of it as simpler because it seemed to be exploding too you know when i was growing up or whatever it seemed like oh my god i remember sitting there with my grandfather saying how did you how could you bear not having a television when you were a kid you know and he'd just roll his eyes you know because we did other things you know life goes on you find other ways to be engaged and amuse yourself and have a good time. And, you know, and then kids coming up and whatnot, they look at you and roll their eyes when you you think you chastise them for looking at their phones all the time. And, you know, that's just one generation's technology and media passes into another. 
But I think what you're talking about is this kind of shared experience that comes from, you know, as you said, uh, one venue, one source that we all collect around. And we don't do that anymore because there are so many, and this is the conundrum that we face, you know, there are a zillion voices, more, more so that have the opportunity to reach us than ever, ever before. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. At the same time, we don't collect around, you know, uh, uh, shared voices. And so we don't share, we, we don't share, you know, mad magazine every eight, you know, issues a year or six issues a year, whatever it happened to be, uh, together in a way we don't share the music that we shared on the top 40, you know, uh, way back in the day because it's all disparate and that's great. Everybody finds themselves within it, but that sense of a, col- a collective identity that's created through those kinds of things that, you know, there's good and bad things that come of that too. You know, collective identity is, is got this, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of awful things that can come from that. Right. And we witness, we see a lot of that crap happening now, you know, but at the same time through collective identity, there can be some sense of shared experience like, you know, here it is, it's July and the trip to the moon. Okay. You know, I know there are people out there who don't believe it happened, but okay. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to have to counter that, you know, with my position, which is, I believe it happened. We watched it on TV. It had to be real. Um, but you know, that, that sense of a shared experience, which was not only shared by Americans, you know, but it was shared around the world. We shared that experience and there's something to be said about that, uh, that great moment, you know, where we all come together and, you know, like it or not. And there are a lot of issues with, you know, the cold war basis of the moon launch and, and the race to the moon and all that kind of stuff. There are all kinds of issues, but at the same time, there is that moment where we all put our hands together and say, Oh my God, can you believe this happened? You know, can you believe that we're seeing this and we all one way or another, whether we actively participate or not, we're all this collectively is humanity. We all did this together, you know, and the moon landing is, is, uh, just one of those. But so mad magazine, you know, can how to go from the sublime to the ridiculous. But you know, the reality of it is, is that for, for generations of kids growing up for the last 67 years, mad magazine is a place by which you leave childhood and enter adolescence. This is the, one of the doorways, one of the chief doorways by which you, you, you go from one phase of your life to the next phase. It was a benchmark. It was a hallmark, you know, by which you did that. And I think that, that for those of us to whom mad meant a lot in that awkward period of our life, you know, mad was, you know, for better or worse, held our hands and guided us through into adolescence, you know, and taught us how to be snarky and cynical and sarcastic so that, you know, we could see the, the, um, we could see Richard Nixon deposed, you know, we could see Vietnam end. Um, you know, we could go on to college and roll our eyes, you know, at our professors and at, uh, the conventional wisdom. And, um, you know, I think that that's, that's, that's one of the things that you've pointed out that we've lost. And, and I, I do think, you know, whenever we can find something like that, it, it really behooves us to try to hold on to it. And Mad Magazine is one of those things. And I actually, I don't, maybe history will prove I'm naive, but I still feel like, uh, Mad has a future. I don't know exactly how, Uh where, um, I still think though it's i i think it's view like what you're everything you're saying is very valid and i still think the there it will find its place um uh-huh. and i i personally think there's even a chance in print there's just something about seeing something directly in front of you that again someone else said was okay uh to for you to see mm-hmm. that's eye-opening for me that was the first time i saw mad on my friend's end table and I guess it must have been 1984 because it was an issue of on the cover, uh, welcome to 1984 issue, and Alfred is standing in the snow peeing 1984. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I can't believe you can put that on the cover of a magazine. Yeah, right, right. And yeah. many decades later, I was interviewing uh, a person, a young person for a production artist position. He, his name is Bernard Mendoza, and he's now the assistant art director of mad in Burbank. Uh-huh. And in our conversation, I, you know, whenever I interviewed someone, I'd right away, what do you, so what's your history with mad? And 
I'd get a lot of different responses and often you could tell they were straight out of Wikipedia on the subway ride over. But for him, growing up in the Philippines, no less, mm-hmm. uh, not even, you know, the, not the, um, I, I actually, I don't know if it was the American edition or if it was a foreign edition, but still like, you know, not like, not like middle America. He uh, saw, and he's 20, more than 20 years younger than me. And now tw- let's call him 20 so that I don't age myself. So he, <laughs> Uh, for him, it was Tom Bunks the Zit. Which, By the way, get used to that. Yeah, Same I know. <laughs> but, but go on. Yeah, yeah. Go so ahead. that is a neo mad classic from the some point in the '90s. I don't remember exactly when it ran, mid late '90s. And this is just a repulsive uh, comic strip page of a man's like a guy in a bathroom popping a pimple. Oh man. <laughs> that just keeps going, and essentially his entire innards yeah come out of him and fill the room and it's repulsive I don't, I don't need to see and this. funny <laughs> and you know it is so gross but people love it got turned into posters i mean it is a it's a it's a new, a new classic mad touchstone okay for a different age a different generation and for burn that was his moment okay. where as a, <laughs> as a young kid who had been very interested in comics and cartoons but the you know the innocent stuff and this is a 90s kid and well, maybe not so innocent. I don't know what exactly, but for him, that was a shift where mm-hmm. he was at the store and he's with his mom and there he's flipping through this thing and there, <laughs> and he said, they're allowed to do this? Yeah, right. And even, okay. you know, there, there's, yeah. There, there, I, I, I wonder, <laughs> that sense you know, of transgression. I wonder just, I, I still don't know, like for a sense of, I, I'll compare it to YouTube. I mean, YouTube is so huge for kids. It's where they get a lot of their entertainment and information. But I still think they understand that the, the people creating that are just regular people. Yeah. So, you know, it's like somebody in their house playing video games and you're watching them and or a family yeah, on vacation. It's just regular people. So I, I still think there there isn't that shift of uh, someone in control made it OK for me to see this, yeah. <laughs> like someone yeah. outside of my sphere of comfort. Yeah. I don't know. Again, this is some of that speculation and some of that is just my interaction with one child and his friends. But, you know, it's something that does still continue. Also, not for nothing, we had a lot of kids come by the office, kids, and uh-huh. they were still enthralled with Mad and what they saw, and they were big fans. And so the audience is there. As I said before, I think it's a matter of scale. I, I think, uh, you know, Mad is part of a big corporation, and there are pros yeah. and cons. Um, and I think it was always going to be tough for Mad to be part of any corporation. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I, I, I mean, I just, you know, a million different things can happen as you know, you, you never know what's, what's coming next in life. But when I think about other brands coming to life and I'll, I'll use the word brand again, sorry, but, um, other brands coming to life in new ways. I mean, the obvious comparison is cracked, yep. which, uh, people it used to make us crazy, quite frankly, because people say, Oh, look what cracked did. Crack didn't do that. Somebody, you know, that's not the people. Matt has Matt had four editors in sixty uh, five. Sorry, counting Bill Morrison. Uh, so four in New York, five across sixty seven years, four in uh, sixty five years. Then Bill, and in, in California, and um, and anything that has happened to Matt has come under the people that like you know were it was handed off one way or another to the next person. Cracked, the people who worked at Cracked.com, as far as I know, had nothing to do with Cracked Magazine. It was purchased and then repurposed. So, you know, I would not, I don't want that to happen to Mad. Uh, right. But, but at the, you know, I would hope that somewhere, somehow, someone involved was part of it before or had some sense of it. Yeah. But at the same time, I just think its attitude, its approach is just, just works too well. <laughs> and has a lot of life in it still. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I love the magazine. I'm that kind of person. But last year, uh, John Ficar and I worked on a Snapchat channel. And this was actually more for Warner, not so much direct. It wasn't involved with the Mad Editorial staff. And this is uh, Warner um, Blue Ribbon Content. It's their digital media, digital television wing. And the person, executive producer of this, was a friend of Mads who was a producer on the Mad Cartoon Network show. So already uh, somebody we knew personally and we knew understood the Mad sensibility and he kind of oversaw it and John and I took the editorial and art reign 
and uh, Reigns. And we had a lot of fun, and we did some pretty cool stuff where we shifted our thinking to what do kids on Snapchat care about. Right. And, you know, this is another for what it's worth. Like, we had a couple posts that hit uh, 2 million unique viewers, which apparently is really good at the time last year. I don't know if that continues, but it's Snapchat viewers. And these were about Post Malone, the the singer rapper. Uh, mm-hmm. They were about Backpack Kid, the kid mm-hmm. from who we thought he was over, quite frankly. But one of our writers pitched it and was tell- showing us about his social media followers. And that's the kid who does the floss dance. It was in the Katy Perry uh, video and live performance. I don't remember, Super Bowl or Saturday Night Live or both. Mm-hmm. And are you familiar with the floss dance, Jeff? <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> All right. So that, I mean, if you if you have an eight year old, no man, I, I'm, this I, is where yeah. the kid he wears a backpack, he puts his arms straight down, and he waves them back and forth in front of in front and back of his body super quickly like a pendulum. Yeah. And but the rest of his body is almost entirely straight vertically up and down, and he doesn't change his expression. I mean, I fell in love with it immediately. It was it was just unbelievable <laughs> to see his body do it. It's like some sort of weird modern vogue breakdancing move but neither at the same time so we did a piece on this kid this it was so silly like he's it was pseudo interactive tap to make his arms go faster i mean that isn't even how snapchat works you just tap and it skips the next video um and then finally his arms flew off that was it huge numbers (laughs) huge numbers on snapchat and it's just stupid and goofy and fun and just yeah. Kid. For Post Malone, he's got all these face tattoos, so we did jokes. These are both written by uh, Kenny Kyle, who is a, uh, a big mag contributor over the last 10 years and a very, very funny, smart, creative guy who helped us a lot because he, he kept tabs on everything going on. He was the type of person who could parse this fractured uh, society that we're talking about and figure mm-hmm. out what was big and what what mattered to people and these things went they did well and people i mean that was the internal numbers told us wow you guys did great on these Mm -hmm. posts and others varied um and that's inevitable so you know that's just one example of still that that very specific way of doing it because it came these two people that did it for i mean john did it has done it john edited i think more issues than anybody although nick it's it's hard to say because Nick wasn't a, Nick was on staff for a long time before he took over. But so, I mean, you know, you couldn't have asked for somebody more directly involved as John. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and we, you know, we pulled it off. It didn't, you know, unfortunately it was financially it just didn't work. So as far as I, I, I don't say, know exactly why it's pill, but that's the gist. And that's, that's what it all comes down to. Of course. I was going to say, I don't know how you make money doing that, but, um, you know, except for that you get the name out there and it continues to keep it alive. But there is an ad based model. But, is, yeah. um, I think it's like the same thing as a lot of things where it's about scale and how many people you need. to yeah. work on. And there were a lot. We had a lot of great support uh, from project, a project manager and, and people who are actually doing the hands on animation for us. OK, so, you know, we had support within Warner. And so, you know, it, it all just. And for Warner, it's actually not even about making money, probably. It's just about, you know, visibility and being constantly visible. So, you know, maybe the the concern is not so much about revenue from this specific thing, but from the, you know, the larger thing. And uh, so, you know, uh, so it's a viable, you know, it's another medium, right? It's another medium to reach out into. And is Snapchat still a thing? Is that still happening? <laughs> I've it's still happening as far as I know. I've, I've heard it's wavered in popularity. That's what I heard. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, I, you know, even, it's, at, even at the time we had naysayers saying, you know, why are you bothering with Snapchat? Yeah, mean, it was fun. True, exactly. <laughs> it was fun and it was a cool attempt to try Mad in a different form. I mean, the Cartoon Network show was great. They really got the Mad voice and sensibility. Yeah, that would be. Yeah. The venue that I would continue probably. You know, I mean, animation is so big right now and uh continues to, and will continue to be i'm sure uh you know why not and and there was a big article in the times the other day about every streaming network is just dying for content you know as long as that's the case and you got the mad brand and you got warners i mean why not continue to produce a mad tv show you know a car- cartoon show that would make a lot of sense uh you and know I, I do hope like i said before whoever's involved i mean i can't be 
so grandiose to say that has to be somebody that worked on Mad, but who really gets it. Someone who's uh, wants to talk to some of us, consult a bit, and 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 get really into the nitty gritty of, Mm -hmm. as I keep saying, what makes Mad special and stand out, and why it lasted so long. Yeah, the product versus my focus. The actual magazine as our product is so much my focus, and our focus as just as I keep saying, the special thing that came out every two months that we put everything into and focused on and took very seriously in the midst of making funny, goofy stuff. We took that very seriously. And, um, and as I said early on that, you know, that we had very, we had specific, we had a morality, um, and that mattered to us. And I think it also made us stand out. And I, I think that's, you know, so important, you know, what you were talking about. And it comes back to that, you know, idea of, of aiming up with your satire. And, and I think particularly today, you know, I think that's really important. I, I think that actually engages in the fight, you know, for the right, you know, for the fight for good comes in, in, you know, skewering those who are more powerful than ourselves. As long as there are buffoons, right, there will be a need for Mad Magazine. There will be a need for it. So, you know, what, you know, as you're, you're talking about these possibilities, you know, what are the concrete plans for MAD? And, and you know, uh, uh, you know, if you can sort of sum up what you think is going to happen in the next year or so, um, what what do you know that is going to happen to MAD? I wish I was the guy who had the answer to this question. <laughs> it's OK. The, 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 uh, there's <laughs> there. <laughs> um, is it something you can't say? No, no, no. I mean, I, I, the truth is, I mean, does anybody really know anything, right? I mean, everything is always changing. Uh, something you think, you know, could, you know, could be totally different tomorrow. And I don't mean to be so vague, but I, I mean, what I know is the same as what they've said publicly, really. Yeah. That's what I know is that as of issue 10 uh, or after issue 10, right. uh, MAD will go reprints. The plan, as far as I know, is to do new covers. Yeah. Uh, to wrap around the thing, the individual issues. And then there is the possibility that they will continue in book form and possibly year in specials and year in specials would have to be new material because I believe they'd be reacting to the year prior. The books, I guess, could be any number of things. We, we did a lot of books internally and with licensed partners uh, that would be, like I said before, themed collections, and um, mm-hmm. and uh, and 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 creator-focused books, which mm-hmm. I still think there's a lot of viability there. I mean, a dream of mine was always to do a Tom Bunk book, a Tom Richmond book, a Herman Mejia book. The people, yeah. the uh, the people who, like the a lot of like the, the new usual gang yes yeah every yeah, issue yeah. who have just a huge amount of material out there that deserves to be respected and treated and you know in the, in this like kind of kind of like i don't know just a, a, a appreciated in this in archival this, like, kind of way one yeah. archival like collected way not saying it needs to be anything fancy but you know um and also you know those people not for nothing they're out there they, they they're living their lives they'll promote it you know, sure. I mean, like they'd be part of it, I would assume. I mean, not to speak for them, but, you know, I think that could be a big deal and something special and eye opening and change things. We also were doing new books fairly. Well, I won't say frequently, but we did. We we rushed through and made a book that we all loved at the early days of the Obama presidency about his dog, Bo. OK, and it was about the new Obama administration all through his point of view. Uh, Tom Richmond. drew it. <laughs> It was written in house. It was all super fun, and that was all new material that we put out with a uh, publishing partner. Mm-hmm. We did parodies of kids' books just in the last three years. We did three parodies of kids' books using DC Comics characters because you know we can use them with rel- relatively as long as we don't upset anybody in in, in DC. Like you know, we're allowed to use those characters. So. Uh, we did Goodnight Batcave. Uh-huh. We did Don't Let the Penguin Drive the Batmobile. Great. And um, we did Superman Has a Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. But that's not the <laughs> Those were all drawn by Tom Richmond, adapting his style to yeah. 
the, the books yeah. and uh written two of them were written by dave carrado one was jacob lambert i hope i'm getting that exactly right and um they were they were super fun books to, to create and it was just sort of you know they were not they, they weren't biting there's no, it's it's satire it's parody i guess more yeah, than satire. Like we were making fun of a very specific thing using very specific characters and vehicle but the mad logo was prominent and they were in the you know we have a lot of fun with them and so that's the type of thing that i guess could happen too that just sure. as, i'm so i'm not evading but those this is me just kind of what i've heard what about there i mean of course i talk to people so but nothing has been said to me about like firm about any plans that isn't out there well, you know, the, those sound like great ideas, too, though. You know, I mean, in a way, they reach back to the origins of, you know, the Richmond book, uh, the Batman books that you're talking about. Sound like they reach back to those original, you know, Super Duper Man parodies and starchy parodies. And, you know, uh, as long as Warner's has got the characters and, and Mad is part of Warner's, geez, you know, why not do a bunch of that stuff? And um, I would think there's a huge market for that. But, I, hey, you know, this is, like you said, it's all speculation, but there's a lot of possibilities for MAD uh, in the future, both in terms of, you know, reprints uh, and it, because there's 67 years of material there and and in terms of new material, you know, uh, which could come out in special editions or something. So it may not come out on a regular basis, but then we may see these wonderful uh, books that you're you're talking about popping up every now and again and that could be great uh you know i mean it's i think this is one of the other things is you everything has its time and place and you know do times do change sometimes they change radically and if you're going to stay alive uh in any field you have to find a way to adapt right and uh and while the mad brand may never disappear and hopefully you know it'll always be there there'll be some way in which it will reinvent itself that's appropriate to the time we're living in right and and that's the only way to stay living right is is uh, like a shark <laughs> as the old saying goes never stop moving you know alfred e newman doesn't blink either just like sharks, right? sharks <laughs> nothing. yeah I, I don't think that gap tooth idiot will be going anywhere i think we'll still be seeing his face plenty I hope so. I I've hope always so. been surprised he didn't become. I hope I'm not giving anybody an idea. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't become the the face of something, uh, some sort of like grassroots movement, you know, akin to the V for Vendetta Guy Fox mask I that became anonymous. Like I, I just can't believe that Alfred hasn't been co-opted. I think there was a period of time when people tried to co-opt him, but um, I think that you know on and off again. But I don't think it ever caught on for whatever reason. You know, I mean, I think there might have been a period in the '60s and '70s when Alfred E. Newman was so ubiquitous that, particularly, you know, uh, when Nixon was in trouble, uh, you know, at the end of the Watergate era, um, there might have been masks. Nixon style masks or people might have imagined Nixon wearing a, an Alfred E. Newman mask. I don't know. Somehow in my, in my, the dark recesses of my memory, I seem to recall uses of Alfred E. Newman here and there one way or the other. So yeah, it, I think it, we'll, he'll still be, you know, he stares you right in the eyes. That was a big, we always, <laughs> we always put him, uh, Alfred is the one at the very least Alfred was making eye contact with the reader. Yeah. So, yeah. And he'll, you know, I think he'll be following us all for a long time, one way or another. Yeah. We all, you know, at some point or another in our lives, we all, you know, connect to, to Alfred. We all relate to Alfred E. Newman. You know, there's one way, what one at one moment in our lives we can share in the befuddlement and uh, uh, quizzicalness and the humor of Alfred E. Newman. So, yeah. Well, and the, Ryan. And, the, and you know, the catchphrase, it, it works better than ever. I don't know if I told you, Jeff, I got it tattooed on my arm. What, what me worry. Me worry. Yeah. As an attempt to remind myself that that is, that's got to be the way to live. I mean, it is something that we are always all trying to attain, right? That kind of serenity yeah. and uh, you know, that's, food and kind of just acceptance of what's well, coming you know, next because we do not know. It's it's um it's both. I always took it as a bit tongue in cheek, you know, because it was written again by adults living through this post World War II nuclear era, right? And so, you know, Alfred E. Newman was more or less born uh, right during the period in which, um, never mind his origins in some ephemera that Harvey Kurtzman found. Um, Alfred E. Newman as a symbol was born right in this period of a great enormous anxiety about you know uh, nuclear devastation. Right. And it seems like he's been pertinent ever since. 
because we've always had this kind of, you know, in the back of our minds, everything could just go sky high. And, and, you know, so what me worry, Yeah, you know, it's, it's a perfect phrase for the last 75 years. So, you know, uh, it sums it up, I guess. <laughs> if there is an epitaph to, to modern civilization, what me worry may be. It. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Well, you know, this was great. This was really uh, fabulous. We, I think we covered a lot of ground here, both, you know, the past, the present, uh, you know, and possibly the future, too. And uh, I think people are, you know, we didn't talk about Charles Schultz. This wasn't about Charles Schultz. This is a special edition of Blockhead, you know, devoted to, uh, you know, what is cartooning news at the moment. And I think this is something that all of us who, are, who care about cartooning one way or another, this is a, a topic that hits home for all of us and uh so uh it was really important i'm really glad you came on uh, with me and to talk about it um i think it's you know it's something lots of us care about lots of us still care about it and uh, and i guess that's been proven right with the yeah reaction. yes thank you i hope that's true and yes the last couple of weeks it has been amazing to see how big this story got it's huge so- yeah it really it's yeah it's bigger than i think i ever would have expected so yep uh, yeah thank you so much thanks for giving me the time it was a lot of fun as you can tell i i can talk about i'll talk about mad i mean we this is not our first conversation about mad no it's uh, not i'm sure there'll be more i can talk about it forever yeah well you know and that's great because i have a lot of students who still uh, would love to hear from you (laughs) you know back at school and so as well as you know we could revisit this i hope to have lance hansen on sometime soon just to get a cartoonist point of view uh about all of this and uh you know maybe i'll reach out in touch with you again at that point um yeah i don't know if i can figure out how to do a conference call on this thing but if i can uh you know this is one of the one you know i don't want to make it sound like i'm a naysayer about you know the, the world we live in now and the potentialities i think they're fabulous and they're great and it's wonderful but you know this is just uh, i also think the demise of mad points out some of the caveats and some of the issues that uh, cartoonists face and some of the issues we face as a culture and uh so uh it is worth you know, touching on all aspects, positive and negative, uh, of something like this. So anyway, Ryan, thanks again for being on. And, um, I really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Wow. Feels like we've traveled a million miles, uh, Ryan and I, and hopefully you <laughs> together. There was a lot to talk about. and uh, But, you know, when you're talking about an institution like Mad Magazine, something that has been a part of our lives, a part of the culture for as long as it has, uh, to see the end of it in print, I think is a, is a significant moment. And it's a significant moment, not just for Mad Magazine and, and, and those of us who cared about it and read it and grew up with it. It's a significant moment I think in terms of cartooning in terms of mass media in terms of publication and print and print media in particular uh, it does signal some kind of sea change as we go to the supermarket or we go to the, what used to be the newsstand and find fewer and fewer publications uh, and those that are there are coming out fewer and fewer times a year maybe only in special editions here and there uh, you know you know the environment has changed in that environment that I I grew up in and uh, learned how to be a a pop culture consumer and uh, how to navigate pop culture and and how to be a cartoonist. That world is rapidly changing if it's not completely changed already. So uh, it, 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 there's a lot there and it was well worth all of the time Ryan and I spent on it and I think it's it's worth delving into further and I'm sure many others will go deeper into this discussion and have done so. This is just our little contribution to that uh, ongoing talk. Well, uh, again, I hope you will check out my work on Instagram, uh, Grogan Jeff. Again, I've got a new strip up there. It's called Spiking the Lens, and it's about actors, actresses, uh, authors, uh, agents, and a laundromat in Hollywood, uh, La La Land, making movies, making TV series, the people who are trying to get along 
I know I told you Dwayne Abel was going to be the next episode, and Dwayne's episode is in the can. It's uh, going to be ready to go and, and uh, will be put up ASAP. I'll, I'll tell you, I've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up here on Blockhead. I talked to Ray Billingsley of Curtis, the syndicated comic strip Curtis, uh, just the other day. A great two-hour conversation with Ray. He is just one of the most venerable and and greatest creators working around today. Uh, he, his contribution is so enormous in the field of syndicated comics and we talk about a lot of things Uh, he's a treasure and a really really nice guy and we had a wonderful conversation Uh, I have to admit to being slightly in awe of him he's he's that significant a figure and he's a few years older than me so you know kind of like I uh, looking up at a a big brother kind of figure well Ray is kind of like a uh, you know the way you look up to somebody like that uh, he stands tall in my eyes so uh, that was an honor for me and I can't wait to get that episode up and to you. I'm going to be talking to Pat Sandy of Next Door Neighbors, uh, that comic strip on Go Comics, uh, which is hilarious. I'm going to be talking to him pretty soon. And there are a number of other great people lining up for uh, discussions here on Blockhead. And it's, so it's going to be an exciting remaining weeks of the summer. I don't know how many of these episodes will get up before the summer's over with, but it, it also portends a really exciting fall for Blockhead. So uh, keep listening, will you? And uh, check back. And we are going to get back to talking about Charles Schultz. I just wanted to do this uh, because MAD has just been such a big part of our lives, and I think it was important to talk about. But, uh, you know, my heart lies in peanuts and with Charles Schultz and, and Charlie Brown, Linus, and Lucy and Snoopy, too. And I, I missed them this time, and I know you did, too. We'll be back to talking about them before you know it. So, Uh, Having said that, uh, I hope that all is well where you are, and uh, thanks for listening.